0: Log talk radio hi i'm anson mount and i play captain christopher pike on star trek strange new worlds pretty much every day there's a moment where i think to myself i'm on star trek i'm ethan peck and i play mr spock coming back to the bridge of the enterprise is thrilling it's daunting
1: it's very surreal. I'm Rebecca Romaine, and I play Una, also known as Number One. The character was originated by Major Barrett Roddenberry in the original pilot of the original series. And now we finally get to really flesh out this character, and she's way more complex than you all know. Hi, my name is Celia Rose Gooding, and I am thrilled and honored to say that I will be playing Cadet Miyota Ukura. I am so excited to be stepping into this legacy. My name is Jess Bush, and I am delighted to announce that I will be playing Nurse Christine Chapel. I feel extremely honored.
0: I'm Babsalu Moko. I will be playing Dr. Mbenga. I'm ecstatic. Hello, my name is Bruce Horak, and I'm thrilled to announce that I will be playing the character of Hammer. I'm welling up with emotion, say it? Oh, yes.
1: My name is Christina Chong and I play the Nguyen Singh. I'm super excited to become a part of this amazing,
0: diverse universe. My name is Melissa Navia and I'm super excited to announce that I will be playing Lieutenant Erica Ortega on Star Trek Strange New World. feels really good to finally be able to say that. The cast that we were able to pull together for this, is exactly the kind of people you would've hoped you'd end up with on a
1: high wire walk like this.
0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 2 of Stunt Trek with Uncle Jim, yours truly, and Leslie Hoffman, Stuntwoman Extraordinaire. On this episode tonight, we're going to be talking about the Deep Space Nine episode, Rocks and Shoals. That was a season 6 episode uh, where uh, Cisco's crew crash lands on a desolate planet with Jem'Hadar Warriors suffering from catch-a-cell white withdrawal. This was a pretty decent episode. Um... It dealt with drug addiction, and uh, we also got to see, you know, how our crew dealt with something like drug addiction and what actually happened to the Jemadar soldiers as they ran out of Ketracel and how weasily and uh, backstabbing and wormy the Vorta really was because uh, the Vorta knew that, that there wasn't enough Ketracel to keep the Jemadar soldiers going And she just kept lying to them and of course they fight to the death so they were either going to die or they were going to kill you and even if they killed you then they were going to die so either way um there was no good way out of it but cisco and the crew uh, managed to pull pull a win out of their hat uh you know not a bad episode i i enjoyed it um it was a season six episode and um yeah, it was right in the middle of the Jem'Hadar War with the Federation. Uh, the the uh, Defiant, I believe the Defiant, I forgot how they actually ended up there. But I think the Defiant got in a battle with a Jem'Hadar uh, ship, and they ended up both damaging each other and crashing on the planet simultaneously. And that's how they all ended up there together. And the Jem'Hadar soldiers decided, we're going to hold this for um, the Dominion. And so that's why they decided to fight to the death. And and the ending, they had a pretty decent ending. The way they wrapped it all up was in classic Star Trek style. So um, I'm just waiting for Leslie to get here. She'll be along momentarily. And then we're going to start talking about some behind-the-scenes stuff, some of the stunts that Leslie did in this episode. Um, She actually doubled as a Jem'Hadar soldier, and she'll fill you in on that as well. Um, and but up here in the Northeast, we're having a snowstorm right now. But, you know, what else do we get up here in the Northeast? I'm up in Vermont and Leslie's, Leslie's up in uh, Saranac Lake, uh, actually further up north than I am here. But looking out my window right now, we got some snow coming down at a pretty good clip. It's pretty windy and pretty cold. So usually, Leslie, whatever we're getting down here, Leslie's getting it worse up there. So um, I'm sure she'll be along any minute now. So in the meantime, uh, you're stuck with me. And uh, I wasn't on <laughs> Deep Space Nine, so I can't really talk about it. Um, <laughs> anyways, but I have no problem chatting with you guys, you know, in the meantime while we're waiting for her to uh, to get here. But the phone lines are open, and you can call and ask Leslie a question if you'd like. <laughs> And here's a little ditty that uh, my friend Eric from Truck Talking wrote for us.
1: It's been a long road. Getting from there to here. It's been a long time. But your time is finally here. You can feel the change in your thoughts right now. Nothing's in your way. And they're not going to hold you down no more. No, they're not going to hold you down. Cause we've got faith, that's your call We wanna hear what you have to say We've got faith to believe In church talking today We've got faith in your fingers All you gotta do is sound out You can reach us right now We've got faith We've got faith
0: and of course, that number is 646-668-2433. That's 646-668-2433. We are live right now, Sunday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you give us a call at 646 668 Two We'll get you live on the air, and you can chat with us about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Rocks and Shoals, or ask Leslie a question about what it was like to be a stunt double for Bellana Taurus on Voyager, or any of her huge body of work. She's pretty much done everything and worked with everybody, so she's very knowledgeable and can answer all kinds of questions. And the number is 646-668-2433. So while I'm waiting for Leslie to arrive, um, did you guys get a chance to watch Star Trek Discovery yet? Uh, Episode 2, New Eden, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Um, This episode uh, dealt with faith and religion. Very good episode, I thought. Um, If you'd like to call and chat with me about that, give me a call at 646-668-2433. And we can chat a little bit about that while we're waiting for Leslie to arrive. Or you can join us on Trek Talk on Thursday night from 7.30 to 9.30 when my Trek Spurts will be with me. And we're going to delve into that episode as well as the episode of the Orville, which just aired as well. Um, so the number is 646 And give me a call right now, and we'll talk about Discovery if you'd like. Or we could even chat about the Orville a little bit. We can talk about that too um, whatever you want to talk about, can you call 646-668-2433, and uh, we can talk. So, as I this break, did his usual excellent job of directing. Um, he's such a great guy. I've met him a couple of times at some conventions. Um, the first time I had the pleasure of meeting him, uh, my wife and I uh, went all the way to Boston. It's about a four-hour ride from where we are up here in Vermont. We got down there, we went to the convention, we had a good time, and uh, freaks never showed up. And everyone at the convention was standing around waiting and waiting and waiting, and no freaks. Uh, They closed the dealer's room because they had a wedding coming in. So they shut the dealer's room and started taking all the stuff out and putting up chairs and stages, and still no freaks. So people were like, what's going on, you know? And so fans were getting upset, so they said, you know, go out to the back parking lot. So they had all the employees move their cars out of the the back parking lot, the employee's parking lot, which was behind the hotel and down this little hill. And, you know, here we are out in the back, like four or five hundred Star Trek fans, you know, dressed up as Klingons and Starfleet officers and Andorians and Orion slave girls and whatnot. And everybody's just hanging out in this parking lot. And a pickup truck comes driving down the road into the parking lot. And stop and a guy with a bullhorn jumps out and gets in the back of the truck and says he has Jonathan Frakes with him and apparently there was a delay with his plane and he didn't get there in time and so that's why he was late and the hotel had booked a wedding so they had to empty the room out for that for the wedding that was coming in there the next day and so we sat on the floor on the parking lot Indian style around this pickup truck and Jonathan Frakes took the bullhorn And did the whole Q&A session through the back, through a bullhorn on the back of this pickup truck. It was totally surrealistic. Um, It was one of the weirdest conventions that I ever went to. And uh, after the Q&A, he, he was in the back of his pickup truck signing autographs for people in the employee's parking lot of this hotel holiday or whatever the hotel was. I, I don't remember. Um, signing autographs and chatting with fans. It was so up close and personal um, that it actually turned out, It was one of the better conventions I've ever attended, actually, to get to hang out and, and chat with Jonathan Freight. Um, It was really, really cool. Um and the second, no, actually, that was the second time, I'm sorry, I lied to you guys. That was the second time I met John the Frakes. The first time we met John and the Frakes, uh, again, my wife, myself, who was not my wife at the time, and a friend of mine, John, we drove up to Syracuse, New York. We were in um, Albany, New York at the time, so it was about a two-hour drive up the New York State Thruway. We drove up to Syracuse, and it was in October, and we had a really freak ice storm, and it was cold, and it was windy, and the ice was blowing. It was it was terrible. So um, we're like halfway there, and we're like, well, should we turn around or should we keep going? And we're like, well, we got an hour back to Albany or an hour to Syracuse. So let's go to Syracuse and uh, hope for the best. So while uh, we get to Syracuse... And the convention's been canceled. There, you know, it was terrible. Actually, it was worse in Syracuse than it was down in Albany. So, you know, here we are like, oh, man, now we got to drive home. This is terrible, blah, 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 blah. So we're just sitting in the lobby, you know, just taking a little break before we drive home. And who comes walking through the lobby? But Jonathan Frakes. And uh, this was in between the first and second season. So we hadn't seen Jonathan Frakes, uh, I'm sorry, Riker, with a beard yet. So he's walking through the lobby and my buddy John and myself and we're saying, Hey, isn't that Jonathan Frakes? He's got a beard we're like Yeah, 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 that's him. Now, my girlfriend, uh my wife now, had a wicked crush on Jonathan Frakes and that was pretty much the reason why we went up there because I figured, you know, if we go to a convention and Karen actually wants to go to it then we're going so we went up there to meet Riker because my wife wanted to my, my girlfriend wanted to so we went over to talk to him and the guy running the convention was a real idiot he says we don't have time for this we got to get him to his room blah blah, blah. And he's shooing us away well since the convention was canceled they had all the chairs set up in the ballroom but there was no one there It was just just all these empty chairs and an empty stage so um jonathan frakes says i you know these are my fans i've always got time for my fans and we go into the ballroom And we, we sit down in his chairs there And he just Talked to us For about 5 or 10 minutes Just one on one It was so cool First thing he says is What do you guys think about the beard Do you like it? And he's stroking his, his beard a little bit And we're like Yeah, it's pretty cool And he's "Well, do you think I should keep it? Or or what? And we're like Well, yeah, you know It, it kind of looks good and, and a little did we know It didn't matter what we said Because he was going to keep it anyways But It was pretty cool that he asked us And um, we asked him if we could get a picture with him, and he said, of course. So he put his arm around my wife and squeezed her tight, and she was beaming from uh, ear to ear because she got a hug from from Jonathan Frakes. And my buddy took the picture, and we we didn't get an autograph or anything, but uh, we shook his hand, and he thanked us for being fans of the show and that he appreciates us and blah, 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 blah. And we shook his hand, and off we went. We're like, wow, that was so cool. That was definitely worth the trip up here. So when we go out to the car, and we get in my car, I had a, a big old 1975 Buick with Sabre. Big car. You, you probably could have slept, you know, eight people in the car. The, the back seat was huge. Um, you could lay down in the back seat and still, you know, have room. And we jump in the old bomb, start it up, we start driving. No heat. I'm, what? No heat. Um, I'm like, the, the heater failed. So um, it was freezing cold and no heat, which meant the the windshield was all fogging up. So we had to wear coats and hats and gloves and crack the windows so that the windshield wouldn't fog up so we could see and just kind of crawl down the thruway doing 40 miles an hour all the way from Syracuse back to Albany. It was a long, freezing cold, torturous trip, but we finally made it. And um, everything everything was fine. We had a good time and got a chance to meet Jonathan Frakes. So the number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to give us a call and uh, say hello, we'd appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> that's just Jamie in the background. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> 646-668-2433 is the number. And I'm just wondering when Leslie's going to be catching up with us. I'm getting a little concerned now that, that she hasn't called in yet. So let me go over here to Facebook, guys, while we're talking to you, and I'm going to shoot her a message and see what's going on, where she is, um, and see if she's going to join us or not. It'd be terrible if she didn't. But let me give her, shoot her a message here, live, on the radio, and see what's going on. Um, let's see what she says. Okay, I'm messaging her right now, guys. see what's going on 646-668-2433 I'm dying without you <laughs> see what's going on <laughs> anyways um, okay we'll I'll send her another message I just sent her a message I'm dying here without you Leslie please give us a call you know Okay, so I'm waiting for Leslie to get back to me and see what's going on. Um, maybe, maybe she lost power up in Saranac Lake. Maybe the storm is worse up there than it is down here. I don't know. But uh, anyways, six four six 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 eight two four three three is the number here. Give us a call and we'll chat. We can talk about Jonathan Frakes. We can talk about Discovery. We can talk about Oroville. Uh, whatever you want. Six four six 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 eight two four three three. So. And those were the two times that that my wife and I met Jonathan Frakes. Um, Another time we went to meet Patrick Stewart, and this was very, very early. This was like the first season of TNG. And, in fact, it was Patrick Stewart's first Star Trek convention, and it was all the way in um, Pennsylvania. It was in um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And And it took us about eight hours to drive there, but this was the captain. So we made the trip and we get down there and we it was it was in an old um like um, armory type of a place with a stage and um an auditorium and the dealers were out out in the hallway so we get out there and they had no this was so early in tng's run that there was even nothing there from tng it was all tos everything kirk and spock and mccoy and all that stuff there was nothing tng there at all and um so the only thing I could that I could buy was a poster for Encounter at Farpoint for the video release of Encounter at Farpoint to have him sign which of course I did. And but the the embarrassing thing the reason why I bring it up is because when Patrick Stewart took took the stage the fans started booing. You know, they booed Patrick Stewart. Can you believe that? booing sir patrick Stewart, but they did i heard it with my own ears i was there and um he came out and at this point he was you know he said that he was a shakespearean actor and he was trained to project so he didn't want to use a microphone he did he did most of the convention without a microphone um finally he broke down and, and used the microphone near the end and, did you know, answered questions and the whole nine yards, your typical convention. So after the convention, after the Q&A was over, we'd go wait on the autograph line. And when we got up there, I apologized. You know, I, I was embarrassed because Star Trek fans booed him. And I apologized for that. He, he signed my, my poster. And then my buddy John that was with us had a cast photo with the crew. And Patrick Stewart pulled out a silver paint pen and went to sign the picture with a silver paint pen, and the pen exploded. And a big wad of silver paint ran out all over the picture. So Patrick sort apologized to my friend John, and he took his finger, and he signed it like finger paint with silver paint on the picture. And uh, he, he was really cool and, uh, you know, very very cordial. And, uh, you know, I was, I was impressed. I was like, wow. So we, we met two people from The Next Generation so far. We we met Jonathan Frakes and we met Patrick Stewart. And um, I was very impressed. And I think that's why The Next Generation maybe was as popular as it was because these actors really earned their, their badges. I mean, they went to all the conventions. You know, every weekend there was a Star Trek convention somewhere with somebody from TNG there. Well, we know we, we, well, we still had TOS, conven, you know, at the conventions at this point in time as well, because we hadn't lost anybody yet. So we had you had TOS and TOTNG, and they were always at these conventions. So you could pick who you wanted to see and where you wanted to go, and off you went. And pretty much that's what we did for most of the time. And um, you know, we just decided who we wanted to see, and off we went. So Denise Crosby, Tasha Yar um was we at a convention up in syracuse and we decided you know to go see her well in the, in the time that they planned the convention and in the time that we got up there she was dead and she wasn't on the show anymore and uh you've you got to remember these were the days before the internet where everybody knew everything before it happened um you know most of the information that we got we got from conventions um so she was she was up in syracuse and um john delancey who plays q was up there with her as well. It was a Saturday-Sunday split show where I forget if John DeLancey was on Saturday and she was on Sunday or if she was on Saturday and he was on Sunday. I don't remember which way it was. But at any rate, uh, we went up there to meet her and and John DeLancey, and she was saying that she left the show because she wanted to pursue a movie career. Uh, as far as I know, the only movie she made was Pet Cemetery, and nothing else besides that. And uh, John DeLancey, of course... Was John Delancey. If you've never met John Delancey, it, he's Q, you know, and he said so in interviews. He's 99% John Delancey, and you know, one percent Q, and that's that's true. When you meet him, he is like talking to Q. And um, somebody asked him at the convention, you know, if he was going to bring uh, Tasha Yar back, and his answer to that question was, only if I get to keep her for myself which got a huge laugh from the audience. It was it was a lot of fun. Star Trek conventions were different back then than they are today, and um, it was a lot of fun. Both John DeLancey and Denise Crosby were awesome. So, uh, Leslie, are you there? And I guess we lost Leslie. Looks like we're having some phone problems, uh, guys. I had Leslie, and I lost her. So at this point... Um, I don't know if we're going to get Leslie back. I don't know if we're going to be able to continue Stunt Trek because we're not talking about stunts. I'm just talking about Star Trek conventions, uh, which I'm sure you guys don't want to hear. 646-668-2433 is the number here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, that was meeting John Delancey and uh, Denise Crosby. Um William Shatner so we went down to New York City they had a big convention down there on Thanksgiving weekend and it was a two captain show the first time that William Shatner and Patrick Stewart were going to be together of course they weren't on the stage together at this point they, it was one of those Saturday Sunday deals where you know Patrick was Saturday and, and Shatner was Sunday or vice versa so we're like wow we can meet Captain Kirk you know this was the first time that uh, William Shatner had done conventions in years um because he refused to do conventions because he wasn't getting any residuals from the movies or the tv show so he wouldn't do them and when star trek 5 came out and you know he wrote it and directed it he wanted to get out there and you know make sure fans went to see it so he decided you know in in 1989 oh i'm going to do some conventions now so he did and we went and i was disappointed We, we we go all the way down to new york city you know, understanding the parking signs down there, you know, no parking on even days of an odd month, If you know, with with the Virgo sign. what It was crazy. So we finally get a place to park the car. I don't understand the sign. I asked the cop, is it okay to park here? What? I don't understand the sign. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. We park there. We go in, go to meet William Shatner. He won't sign any Star Trek pictures. I'm like, what?
1: So I had to get a picture of him with his
0: horse. And then the convention's over, we come out, and there's a $50 parking ticket on my car. So I go to the police station and say, look, you know, the officer said I could park there, and, and they 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 nailed me anyways. <laughs> I wasn't very happy. But um, let me see if we got Leslie back with us. Leslie, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm here. I'm. I fell asleep. I walked the dog. I came upstairs. I got all set and I laid down in bed waiting for seven o'clock and all of a sudden I opened my eyes up and it's twenty after seven. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's okay. I've been I've been yakking. I've been yakking and trying to keep people entertained. <laughs> So, well, I say I, anyways, do, I don't
1: know. I it's been a long day, well, and here I thought I had every well, well. you say I got everything done, and 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 just waited for seven o'clock to come around, and suddenly I'm gone. <laughs> well,
0: I'll just have to see if Chris can can edit it up and do some magic with it before we send it off to Ross. <laughs> so, at any rate. Um so Leslie's with us, guys, the stuntwoman extraordinaire, um, <laughs> Leslie Hoffman, the one, the only. Um, I want to take an opportunity um, last week on Truck Talk, and of course we wish Leslie a happy birthday, but this is Leslie's show uh, with all of Leslie's fans tuned in, so I want to take this opportunity to wish you a happy belated birthday on your show, Leslie. So happy birthday, and any time that we wish anybody a happy birthday um, on Trek talking or on stunt tracks, we have to sing "Happy Birthday" in Klingon. So this goes out to Leslie on her belated birthday. That was not a clip.
1: Clear-
0: I guess I guess they like that song. They're gonna play it twice. So happy
1: belated birthday, Leslie. Oh, thank you. It's it's. I don't know what it's been doing at U N, but today it's been absolutely snowing, almost whiteout blizzard up here. Yeah,
0: I was just I, when I was babbling at the beginning of the show. I was saying the same thing. I'm looking out my window here in Vermont, and it's windy, and it's snowy, and it's icy, and it's just terrible here. So I can only imagine what it's like up there.
1: Oh, yeah, no, it's, you know, again, I don't know how your winters have been, but what it does up here is it snows, it falls, it rains, it snows, there's ice, there's snow, there's fall. there's... (laughs) <laughs> you just um I think two weeks ago we had uh, minus eighteen and and then within seven days of that minus eighteen we had uh like thirty five or thirty eight above.
0: And it's gonna be another cold one this week too. They're saying was it uh Tuesday or Wednesday it's gonna be thirty two below zero. So yeah, I winter's bite. really really <laughs> us hard. So, anyways, uh, at the top of the show, I was telling everybody that we're going to be talking about the Deep Space Nine Season 6 episode, Rocks and Shoals. And this is the episode where Cisco and his crew crashes on a desolate uh, planet with a Jem'Hadar ship. And the Jem'Hadar warriors, of course, are addicted to Ketracel White. And they're suffering from withdrawal symptoms because the Vorta doesn't have enough drugs for them. And this episode deals with, with uh, drug addiction, and, and it's, it's a really good episode. all takes place on a desert planet. And this I think this is one of the few times, and you, you can answer this question as well, because cause you were there. But I think this is one of the few times where Deep Space Nine actually went on location. Um, they weren't in a studio. No,
1: is that true? actually, well, no, we we went on location several times. Uh uh, the this gravel pit where this was filmed I think they were only there maybe twice and I swear both days that they were up there it was over 100 degrees and the Jemadar costume is the headpiece is one piece and and the costume just covers the whole body and there's gloves and there's boots and I mean it, it it's like like putting your dog in a car with the windows all up. I mean, so not only is it 100 degrees, it's probably 120, 130 degrees inside these costumes, and, and the guys were just dying. I mean, there was no air conditioning on the location for these guys, and um, they actually brought in, I almost feel like they brought in like a refrigeration truck or something, keep the guys cool but but at first these guys were just um I mean there was a place to sit down but but just no no shade no oh, again no air conditioning and and it was it was really killing them I mean I actually I remember Dennis Madelone cut a hole in the top of the Gemadar head and he took a bottle of uh water and just poured it into the top of the head of the Jemadar, you know, just to put water on his head. Uh, wow. But, no, we we were up at Griffith Park. Um, uh, uh-oh, like I say, I, just, I was asleep. You were saying, um, is it heavy, wet snow? And it also had to deal with, with uh, the Jemadars. Uh, it was the one where they went to the temple, And there was the big fight, and and um, and whatever. They go running in to the temple, but we were up at Griffith Park. So, oh, and also at Griffith Park is actually the. This is really true. The Batman cave is at Griffith Park. The the place where they drove the car out of that that is an actual rock structure that exists and uh so they used uh that in some episodes and there's like really steep hill right next to this cave this actually this cave actually has two sides to it so you could actually walk straight through it but um i would have to uh look up which episode that is where where a bunch of again, I I don't know if it was Jemadar's or Klingons had to run down the side of this hill. I almost feel it was Klingons, and it, again, it was it was just miserable. I mean, because you're you're banging your feet against these boots. I mean, uh, when there were boots on the show, <laughs> they were heavy and and uh, not not easy to. <laughs> move around
0: quickly and Now um we're going to we're going to take a quick quick break here guys just so that that we have a place to edit and then we'll be right back with Leslie Hoffman stuntwoman extraordinaire don't go away
1: You're not exactly catching us at our best that much is certain I have a hunch that we'd all be a lot happier discussing this over dinner. What do you say? Say again? You guys like Italian? No. Yes. Yes. No. no. yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. I love Italian. And so do you. Yes.
0: Okay, we're back with Stunt Trek and Leslie Hoffman, Stunt Woman
1: Extraordinaire.
0: We're talking about Jem Hadar boots, believe it or not. And uh, Leslie's telling us about about wearing Jem'Hadar Hadar boots or was it Klingon boots?
1: Or was it both well, boots? Um, <laughs> I mean rocks and shoals they were definitely Jem'Hadars. Hadars. The the run down the hill, like I say I'd I'd have to go back and look it up, but I was out there and and like I say whether it was Jemadars or Klingons going to down the side of this hill. I mean, you know, you could easily—I I don't remember anybody falling, but but this hill was so steep, you're slamming your toes against the front of the boots. I mean, it—I mean, it—it it just was. Hey. That's, I guess, that's what we're hired (laughs) (laughs) for—to
0: have big feet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, I'm trying to, you know, even like, well, uh, actually, if you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'd like to switch our show since since I'm so late today, and talk about rocks and shoals maybe next week that we could discuss it fully and just, you know, kind of jump all over the place. Since we seem to be talking about costumes, is um, when I did Blood Fever, I also was in, I don't know, they, these must have been motorcycle boots that, that Wardrobe would get. For the dar? No, no, when, when I was doubling Torres... In blood fever and repelling down the side the, the the cliff, I was in motorcycle oh. boots that's what I'm saying is is that a lot of the costumes had these really heavy boots i mean it wasn't it wasn't like you were in shoes or or it wasn't even like Starfleet boots let's say i mean the the alien boots were motorcycle boots. You know, just made up to either, you know, if you were a on it would have the hook on the end of it. Um, I can't remember what the amadar boot looked like, but, but like I say, just really heavy boots. And I think, I don't remember if we talked about this last week on, or on one of your shows. It's the same thing like when you have the weapons, is that um, if a weapon is not... Symmetrical or top heavy or bottom heavy, it's very hard to do stunts you know if you can't if you don't have um, an easy grip on it i mean <laughs> so so uh it's it's always good when when the different departments can get together before a show and discuss um, whether it be a weapon or something. Oh one thing that I just remembered was uh when I used to double torres uh these Starfleet uniforms were really never made for your arms to go above your head, so they actually made me a special torres uh Starfleet uniform in other words the the black uniform um, where they put i forget what you do you call the gusset the diamond? Like right in the armpit, that I could raise my arms above my head.
0: What? Well, why? Why didn't they? Why didn't they want the uniforms to go above your head?
1: It was. It was just the way that the costume was designed. I mean, I in next generation. Um, don't you remember that uh, Picard was always pulling the, the top of his uniform down? It was because the it would ride up and they finally changed the uniform. I forget if it was the next season or or how many seasons in where they finally um, did something to the uniform that, that he didn't have to keep pulling it down. So like sometimes, sometimes things are designed, but, but they're not designed practical and I and I don't I don't mean any disrespect to the costume department. They're b- beautiful costumes, but but if you have to do a stunt in them, <laughs> you know it may be it may be very hard to do, or or to do stunts in these beautiful costumes. I mean, whether they're way too heavy or uh, oh okay here this is another one that comes to mind is on Voyager. Uh, one season they decided that the villain of the season was gonna be the swarm. Do you remember that? It was this... it it was it was a multicolor headpiece but but even the body was made out of some kind of foam and um they did the first episode with the swarm and it was like when the stuntmen would bump against the 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 side of, uh, of of a panel or something, they'd rip the foam. I mean, so so, I almost want to say that the costume became cost prohibitive because they would have to make a new swarm costume probably every single show, where where I think I said last week or again I don't remember which show was already. That where where they would try to to save the pieces. Like if you're a Klingon, they would try to save the pieces. Or or let's say you're a Vulcan, they would try to save the ears. Well, with the Swarm, they ripped these costumes apart apart like in one minute. I mean, one minute you hit the side of you hit the corner of a table or something, and you, <laughs> you've ripped this this. Uh, costume. I mean, the coloring on the head I remember was just wonderful. It was iridescent. But but again, so very beautiful but not practical. Now um
0: Leslie when you were on a when you were gonna say double for Bologna Taurus, let's say um, how how would you know what stunts you were required to do and 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 when you were going to be doing them
1: well we we would get a script uh about a week before the episode would film well this is this is part of being a stunt coordinator or assistant stunt coordinator you get a script about a week before the episode is going to be filmed you have to read the script and break it down uh, as to where the stunts are and, uh, then you go to a production meeting and, uh, it was <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of going off in a different direction, but it's, it's just bringing back mem- memories. It was amazing. So they go around the room and let's say special effects. Oh, well, we need six, you know, Klingon ships, uh, chasing the the Defiant or something like that. And and they would say, Oh, okay, six ships that'd be about four hundred thousand dollars. Well, maybe we only need four ships or three ships, how much would that be? Then they get to the stunt people or the stunt department and this is like say I'm now I'm talking from experience, is that Dennis had given me a price, and and let's say that it was just a small stunt, and we needed a pad which rents for about two hundred dollars, you know. So I would say, okay, um, in this scene, uh, there's this stunt. We need a pad. We need a budget of two hundred dollars, and they would say, they would say to me, well, could you do it without a pad? <laughs> You just you just approved a four hundred thousand uh, dollar you know ships flying through the air and you you're, you're going to tell the stunt people well do you really need a two hundred dollar pad? Oh brother! <laughs> yeah, no, it was it it how can I say it was a lot of fun, but it was it was so amazing, you know. Like I say, and again, they would go around the room special effects, uh costumes, uh, you know, wardrobe uh props, uh I'm I'm losing the name of the different departments. But but you know, I mean they're trying to save money here and there, but uh <laughs> you know, to give one one department four hundred thousand dollars and quibble over two hundred dollars for a pad that a human being has to fall into just seemed kind of strange to me.
0: <laughs> and Leslie, how did they like say, for instance, in a particular episode, um, uh, the Defiant gets attacked, and B'Elanna Taurus is well, she's not on the Deep Space Nine, but there, there's a, there's a character at the at the helm. There's an explosion because the Klingon ship shot him, and this dude has to go flying through the air. How do they determine? If that stunt can be done by the actor, or if the actor is capable of doing that, or if they're going to have a stunt person double for that for that actor, who makes that decision, and how do they decide where to put the stunt person and where to put the actual actor?
1: Well, again, um, you break down the script. If if it's just that. Uh, uh, well, you, you're saying, Valana, except that I need to go back to Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, like, Call to Arms, Jazia is talking to Cisco, but they want an explosion in the background, which ended up being me. I don't know. These ships just blow up all the time. I just, I don't understand. <laughs> in that century, that they couldn't have a ship that doesn't blow up every time you fly it. But, uh, anyways... Um you know, so if the script just said Jazia is talking or jeze dialogue dialogue cisco dialogue dialogue explosion, you know um then the stunt coordinator would say, Okay, I need a stunt person um for this scene I mean again, you break down the script and you say, um, you know, scene one' Or whatever page you know we we need a son person to do this, or we need you know um, if if it was just i I can't think of a particular episode that comes to mind you know if if it was just let's say someone did a shot and and there might be some kind of sparkling coming down on top of people then then they would probably use the background performers, which used to be called extras, but, but now they're called background performers. So, you know, they might say, okay, we'll have five background performers for this scene where, where the sparks are just showering down. But again, if the script says explosion person goes flying across the room, no, that, that becomes a stunt person. And it's a different pay, pay scale. Besides, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's um, two different. Well, there there are multiple people. I mean, is now you're you are saying how do you know when to use an actor, when to use a stunt person? If there's no dialogue, it's just cheaper to to use a stunt person to be that character. Uh, I was watching television uh, earlier this week and, again, I'm sorry the brain is not in gear right now, but it was the next generation. And, and I happened to turn my head just in time. I was on the computer, but I turned my head just in time. And here is O'Brien telling this Starfleet uh, person to go... Look at something, and I look up, and it's my friend Tom Morgan that that uh, O'Brien is talking to. Now, maybe maybe Tom said yes, sir, or something like that. You know, two words, and and then sure enough, well, that's the other thing is when I recognize stunt people, I go, oh, okay, there's going to be a stunt somewhere along the way. There's going to be a stunt. So, like you say, O'Brien tells Tom Morgan to go down this hallway for whatever reason and he starts going down the hallway and suddenly there's this explosion that comes like through a doorway into the hallway and it blows him sideways. So again, I mean, based on what the script wanted was whether you use a background performer or you use, um, a stunt man, or in this case, you're not going to audition, um, Let's say straight out actors for the one line, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, again, uh, stunt people handle, can handle dialogue. Actually, now that just reminded me of another one. I don't know if the episode was sort of Kayla's or if it was a different one. Again, Tom Morga, um, he had this headpiece on that actually had. I feel like somehow the mouth was restricted and and it's one of the uh original Star Trek Klingons, but older and he gets really drunk. It was the it was the teaser, it was the beginning of the episode. He gets really drunk and he's going back to his room and this alien attacks him. But Tom had to say he puts his fingers on on the Klingon's forehead. He knocks him out. He puts his fingers on the guy's forehead. And he had to say, open your mind. But <laughs> with with all this makeup on him, it's almost like, open your mind. <laughs> So I don't know that. Um, which actually brings us into a different thing, is that if, if you don't get the dialogue completely there is looping they will they will bring in an actor or a stunt person after the fact if they completely cannot understand them and have them you know record re-record the dialogue and then just put it over the top of what they already filmed but i i think they actually used the footage that they filmed so to me i guess i i know what Tom's voice really sounds like but again that's funny actually <laughs> uh tom's gonna kill me i hope he's not listening to this podcast <laughs> is that uh there was an episode of voyager where let's see what was it Voyager? Um, I'm sorry. Like I say, the brain is not working. But but no no, it had to be Deep Space Nine because Worf threw a knife into I think it was a Jemadar yeah. and and they what they did is what's called a whip pan, which is where Worf throws the knife, or Michael Dorn, however you want to say it. He throws the knife but you don't see where the knife is going. You know, he just throws it. But then the camera quickly whips across to Tom, who already has a knife stuck or is sticking out of his chest. So, so you see Worf, like I say, do this quick throw of a knife. I mean, he definitely has a knife. He definitely has let it go. Uh, the camera swings across, Here's Tom with the the knife sticking out of his chest and Tom goes ahhh, 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 And he finally falls down and the yelled cut and everybody in the room clapped for him because we thought that was the longest death scene we'd ever heard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh boy.
1: Yeah <laughs> Well
0: we're gonna take a, a uh, we're gonna take a quick break here and when we come back I'm gonna ask Leslie what it was like to be on the USS Defiant. Hang out with okay. us for a minute, guys. We'll be right back. I suggest we be Thank in the you. section of board for analysis. Make it so, number one. Okay, we're back with Stunt Trex and Leslie Hoffman, a Stunt Woman
1: Extraordinaire.
0: So, Leslie, did you ever get a chance to go on the USS Defiant?
1: Oh, well, I say I was on the Defiant when Jedzia was flying it, when she was uh, on, in call to arms. Um, I also was on the Defiant, I guess you you got to call it the Defiant, in uh, the alternate universe, Shattered Mirrors. I was a rebel flying the ship. But I'm telling you, every time I fly this, uh, well, it would be the Define. Every time I flew the Define, it would blow up, or or the panel would blow up, <laughs> not the ship, but the whatever panel I was at would blow up. I guess maybe it's me. I'm a woman driver. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so, so
0: I, I guess for for all the fans that are out there, what's it like to fly a starship? But like, do they tell you? what what where to what where to put your hands and what lever does what or how to how to make it look like you're flying it or do you just sit there and just make pretend and have no idea what you're really doing
1: um again that that's an interesting question it uh there were graphics that uh just just like on all the all the star trek shows i mean there there are graphics on the panel that's in front of you so you would move your fingers to different—I um, don't even want to call them buttons because it was a flat thing. Uh, Doug Drexler, Jim Vanover—they're the people that created these graphics that that were on on the wall, on the panels. Uh, you just moved your fingers around like you, like you knew what you were doing. <laughs> it it uh, and then. And then, just like the original Star Trek, uh, I mean, if you were being fired upon, they would do ship shakes, is what they were called, and you know, maybe someone offset would say, and well, it would be talked out. Okay, everyone, kind of go to the left when when I say ship shake or or you know hit, or uh, so so that's it. Is is that you had to time it? I think if if you look at some of the original Star Trek episodes, sometimes most of the people would fall to the left, of course, there was always one person that was kind of going to the right <laughs> so you had to you had to be you had to know which way you were supposed to be shaking, or the other thing that they would do is they actually would take the camera and shake the camera well, so not only were we. Falling, let's say to the right, they're shaking the camera, which makes it look like the ship is shaking. So it isn't like we were on a platform that was being, you know, rocked. It uh, we we were stationary. I mean, it, it was a set. It was it was between the camera and and the acting that makes it looks like look like the the ship is being, you know, hit by a a phaser, uh, you know, blast. Torpedo, whatever. Now,
0: Wesley, how big is the set, of, like when you're on the bridge of the Defiant, is when we're watching it on TV, is that pretty much what you see, or, is, or if the camera spins around, is there more to it than just what we see on the show?
1: Um, ooh, that's almost a difficult one for me to answer. It, What you see on the show is basically the depth, of let's say uh, where the controls are, where you're flying the ship. Now, if there's sleeping quarters or anything else to the defiant, no, you don't see that. I mean, or, or that's not part of the set. And I mean, so so like you say, I'm I'm thinking of Jidzia with Call to Arms. I mean, you basically see, I think, two people in front of her on panels. Then you see the captain's chair that Jazia was sitting in. There's panels to, I think, the right and left, and then behind her there was like maybe a small inlet where there was some more panels on the wall, and there was like a table, and in Call to Arms, I was doing something to the panels on the wall, and then they explode, and I go flying over the table. But But that's really about the size of it, I mean, Um, they don't create a full-scale ship when they're just shooting like say operations or something like that Um, and then uh, the other thing is walls are removable so depending on the camera angle they wanted they actually may take out let's say one of the side walls because they want a shooter from the side as opposed to so, so you weren't restricted, you know. In other words, it wasn't a stationary set that that you know there was no way to get the camera in there. You just take the set apart to get the the angle that you wanted.
0: So it's not like like the Star Trek original series set tours up in Ticonderoga, where you go down the hallways and here's the door to the engine room and here's the transporter room, and it's not like that. It's just the set they need at any given moment it's not the full ship
1: well what what James Collie has created with lucky land you can get lucky just about anywhere